Have you ever seen an ad on TV that looked too good to be true? Ever been made an offer that was too good to be true? Uh, about eight years ago, I was looking for a new set of golf clubs, and um, golf clubs are really expensive if you get good ones, and so I was looking for a set of tailor-mades, and so I went through the internet and I tried to find the best ones, and I found the site in the United States that was offering these brand new tailor-made golf clubs set for half price. This is like saving $700 or something, and I thought, man, this is fantastic, and I checked it out as best as I was able to. Uh, and I thought, yep, no, this is all good, this is all good, and so gave him my credit card number, and then I heard this little voice in my head saying, dumb thing, and I thought, oh, I wonder if I can do some more checks, so I started to do a Google search, and I found one feedback response to the site, from a person in the United States and they talked about the site being in China. And I thought, oh no. You don't get genuine tailor-made golf clubs from manufacturing sites in China. So I quickly went back to the site, cancelled my order and I lost about $120 uh, because the offer that they were offering was just too good to be true. And one of the things I've found about offers that are too good to be true, it's not actually the offer that's the problem. It's the people standing behind the offer. It's the ones that are making it that you have to check out. And one of the things that I've found about God and his word is that he makes some amazing offers, but they're not too good to be true, they're too good to turn down because you can trust the person behind the offer because he's the one who is for us and not against us. He's the one who gives us a future and a hope. And when he says something, you don't have to check him out on the internet. You can believe what he says. Amen? So we're, we're doing a journey through John. And in the passage we're going to read this morning, Jesus has just traveled from Judea down through Samaria on his way to Galilee. And he stops at, at lunchtime at a well in the town of Sychar. Now, the Samaritans were despised. They were hated by the Jews because of their historical intermarriages, because of the mixture in their beliefs. So no ordinary Jew would ever talk to a Samaritan. But of course, Jesus was no ordinary Jew. And he makes the woman that he meets at this well an offer that was absolutely too good to turn down. So we're going to read that now from John chapter 4, verse 6. And it says this. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well. It was about noon when the Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And also Jewish men wouldn't associate with um, Samaritan woman. Uh, Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, 
You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then down to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. What an amazing, fantastic, uh, revival-initiating encounter we just read. I mean, for the Samaritan woman, the day had just started like any other. Uh, there's nothing to suggest that this woman had any expectations that this day would have been different from the day before or the day before that. But this day, God knew that she was going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ that would absolutely change her life. And you may think this is just another Sunday. You may think, oh, same order, same procedure, same service. But listen, an encounter with God will absolutely change your life. And we need that change and we need that expectation because like the woman at the well, every person has a thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. If you want to clean up a river, and New Zealand is supposed to have a clean, green image, but if you want to clean up a river, 
that's polluted, then you need to go and identify the source of that pollution. Early in my career with uh, New Zealand Dairy, I had the responsibility for all of their water and wastewater treatment, and one of the jobs that I had uh, enabled me to get out, and I was often testing rivers and streams and tracing the source of pollution. Uh, And that was really important because some of you will know that one litre of milk has the same polluting power as 400 litres of sewage. So you put one litre of milk into a river and it has the same effect uh, as putting the whole daily waste of two households into that same stream. So my team and I would spend a lot of time tracing contaminations from the river to the factory discharge right the way up to the source. And this would involve 24-hour monitoring. And this was really, really important because not only was it important for the environment, but what we realised was that every litre of milk that went down the drain was actually a litre of product that was lost. And so we had to find the source of the pollution before we could clean it up. In fact, I ended up developing a whole set of um, systems to trace the losses from factories so that we can increase the yields on those factories. But it all involved finding the source of the pollution, the source of the loss, and then stopping it and cleaning it up. Well, the Bible says that if you think of your life as a river, then we're all polluted. And the problem is that right at the very source of that river, the source of our being, at the very center of our life, our heart, which Proverbs 4.23 tells us that all the issues of life come out from, it's that source that's polluted. It's that source that needs cleaning up. And the problem is that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we attempt to do to quench our thirst, our need for love, acceptance and forgiveness, security, identity, etc., nothing works. There is no way that we can clean ourselves up from the inside by anything in this world. And the reason we need to come to Jesus is that we are unsatisfied and we are thirsty and we are polluted at the very core of our life. The thirst can't be satisfied. The pollution can't be removed by anything in this world. And Jesus says that if you put the bucket of your soul into any other cause, any other relationship, Anything in this world, any pursuit, any comfort but him, we're just going to get more and more thirsty. Uh, The very best partner that you can have, the very best job, the very best house, the very best car, all these things don't satisfy and quench the thirst that is within. Uh, When we recognize that we are unsatisfied. If we've been successful in life, but still empty, we tend to blame the things for not being satisfying enough. So what do we do? Go and get more things. And of course, all that does 
is make us foolish. The very things that we've bought haven't satisfied, so we somehow have this mindset that if we buy more things, we get better things, then that's going to fulfill the satisfaction. Now, if we aren't successful, but we're empty, we blame ourselves for not being successful enough, which makes us depressed. Or we blame God or we blame the universe for our emptiness, which makes us bitter and cynical. And of course, the reason for our dissatisfaction is not whether we're successful or not. It's not the universe. It's the fact that we are separated from God. We were created so that the only thing that can satisfy us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the living, thirst-quenching water of the Holy Spirit, which he promises, that's what brings satisfaction to life. We need God and the Holy Spirit at the very center of our lives to sort out our dissatisfaction and clean up our heart. Hey, I read an article last week about the um, Blue Lake in the Nelson District. Anyone ever been tramping up to that, up to the Blue Lake? Anyone here? It's, a, it's quite a tramp in there, but um, have a look at that. Look at that for clarity. Isn't that amazing? Wait for the next one. Which will come. Look at that. You are looking on the cleanest lake in the world. The clearest lake in the world. You don't find that clarity of water anywhere else in the world. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much of that water you drink. You're still going to get thirsty. Doesn't matter how much of that water that you bathe in, you're still going to be dirty on the inside. The cleanest, clearest water in the world isn't going to satisfy your thirst. In the Middle East, water is a metaphor for life. If you don't have water in the Middle East, you don't have life. And Jesus said, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And when we take Jesus into our life, we have a spring of water welling up to eternal life at our source. It's like you have a bucket of dirty water and if you ever um, put a hose into a bucket of dirty water and just let it run. And what happens? The bucket of dirty water gets clean. Because the source that's filling the bucket up is clean. Eternal life isn't just endless life that goes on forever, by the way. It's actually a quality of life that can only be achieved with Jesus living on the inside, transforming us and quenching the soul thirsts that we have. And we all have soul thirsts. For instance... If our soul thirsts for purpose, if you're not a Christian, if you're an atheist and you don't believe there's a God, then guess what? 
You believe you're an accident. You believe that you just happened. That there was a primordial soup and, and there was a bit of ultraviolet light that came in and zapped, changed a few um, DNA molecules or changed a few things so that they became self-replicating. And then they formed amoeba, which split and turned into slugs, which crawled out of the water and uh, so and so and so and so and so. You know, it takes more faith as a scientist to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God, our creator, making us with a plan and a purpose. And by the way, just on that for all you people with science backgrounds, um, people often get confused about micro and macro evolution, uh, changes within the species and changes from species to species. So uh, I, I just know that our, our kids need to know uh, some science behind creation uh, rather than just being receiving the evolutionary theory with all the missing, missing links, they need to go back and have a look at the information, have a look at the facts that are there and interpret them in the sphere of perhaps there's a God. And if there was a God, do the facts fit? And of course, they do. But if you've got a soul thirst for purpose, then you're an accident with no purpose. And you would feel like an accident when you... Don't know God the creator. But when you know God, you know that you were made with a purpose. And that soul thirst is quenched. You may have a soul thirst for love. Nobody on earth can give us the kind of love that's missing in our lives. Nobody. Only God can fill that void. Without perfect love and perfect acceptance and a perfect father... We'll be less than what we were created to be, and we'll be basically dysfunctional. Our deep thirst for perfect love can only be met by our Heavenly Father, as can our thirst for peace of mind, freedom from guilt. Many people have a soul thirst for peace, and you have peace movements. But the reality is you'll never have peace between countries unless you have peace within a country. And you'll never have peace within a country until you have peace within, between men. And you'll never have peace between men until you've got peace within man. And you'll never have peace within man until that man finds peace with God. So the answer to that soul thirst is to get in touch with the one who created you and who loves you with that perfect love and who says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. Jesus gives us a spring of living water welling up within us, continuously cleaning the rubbish from our heart. The Samaritan woman knew that there was something missing in her life. She was trying to find love and meaning through her relationships, and she had a whole string of broken relationships. Most of her relationships have failed, and now, ashamed of the life that she's been living, she goes to the well at midday rather than at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when most of the other women would go. She, like all of us, needed what Jesus was offering. So... How do we receive? 
this living water, this life-giving source. Well, Jesus says, the water that I give you, wisdom can't find it, power can't attain it, money can't buy it, merit can't earn it. It's a free gift that Jesus gives us when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. And when we ask Jesus to come into the centre of our lives and forgive us our sins, then we have it. Jesus says, come to me and taste and see that I'm good. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But we recognise who Jesus is. And we want to live for him. And we want to tell others about how he is satisfying the soul desires of our life with his life-giving presence. It's that simple. It's believe and receive. It's an offer to good to refuse. When I was in my first year at university, I had an encounter with God when the Holy Spirit came upon me and healed me. And right at that instant, it was like all the lights were turned on and I just knew that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it was easy. It was easy to give my life to Him because I wanted to know Him. It was like all the lights turned on and I just wanted to know God. And immediately, I had that peace which just passes all the understanding. doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. When that peace comes from within, you know things are different. And in fact, revival happens when people encounter and respond to Jesus. As this woman listens to Jesus, you can see there's an ongoing uh, revelatory work of the Holy Spirit happening in her life. Step by step by step by step, her eyes are being opened to who Jesus is. In the passage that we read, she starts off calling him a Jew. Then she calls him sir. Then she calls him a prophet. Then she calls him the Messiah. Then she says, could this be the Christ? The divine encounter with this one woman resulted in Jesus staying in the town for a few days and people just responded. As a result of this woman's testimony, verse 39 says, many believed in Jesus. In fact, they were born again because they confessed that uh, they believed not because of what the woman said, but they said, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world because of what he said. So that was true then, and it's also incredibly true today. Jesus said to his disciples, don't say four months and then the harvest, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe under harvest. If Jesus was standing here this morning, what would he be saying to us? He'd be saying, hey, look outside. Look at the people you work with. Look at the people in your neighbourhood. Open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. There are people here everywhere around about us that have soul thirsts that they can't satisfy of their own. They have a direction in life 
They have needs that can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. And it's up to us to tell them how they can meet their needs. Everybody here has a testimony that we can share. It's a process. And we can help people by building friendships with them, by inviting people to life group, by inviting people to church. You may not have all the answers to your friend's question, but you can invite them to meet someone who perhaps is a little bit further down the journey than what you are. And when we step out and just walk across the room and introduce ourselves to someone, God goes with us. We can all start conversations. I was playing golf a couple of months back with a, with a guy and we were walking down the fairway and he turned back and he said, wow, look at that magnolia tree. I can't see how people can't believe in a God when you see a magnificent tree like that. And I thought, this guy isn't a Christian. It was easy to start a conversation. It was easy to follow that one up. It was easy to bridge the gap, not because of some smart thing that I'd said, but simply because of what he said. And so we had an absolutely fantastic conversation. We were walking down the fairway and uh, got, to my, um, got to my golf ball. And for those of, you, those of you who play golf, it was about 100, 140 meters from the pin. And I took out my club and I smacked it and it landed two inches from the pin. And he turned around and, me, and said, I believe in miracles now. <laughs> but isn't that like God? I've never... I've never Hit a shot like that before or again since. But wasn't, wasn't that like God straight after a conversation about his goodness, about how great he is in creation and the follow-up, and then this thing happens. I thought, man, I should have a few more conversations like that. It'll really improve my golf score. <laughs> we can all start conversations. They don't need to be spiritual. We just need to start conversations. And it's amazing how things turn to people's needs. And we've got the answers to that. So not only does God want to f uh, us to be filled with his Holy Spirit, but he wants that river of his Holy Spirit to flow out from us and to touch others. Uh, Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from them from within. By this he meant the Spirit. You see, if you've got the Holy Spirit within you, Jesus wants there to be a river of his spirit flowing out from you, touching people round about you. Now, how many people would be really, really honest and admit, hey, evangelism scares them? Apart from me. Yeah, most of us. Most of us are scared by that. But hey, evangelism is just doing life. Because if you've got the Holy Spirit within you, your life's going to be different to the people that are around about you. If you're listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying, He will prompt you. And sometimes you just open your mouth and things come out that you didn't expect to come out. Uh, he says, 
Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's already created the good works. All we have to do is do life with him. All we have to do is be open. All we have to do is be looking for opportunities. And sometimes, sometimes he just overwhelms us and just stuff comes out. If the musicians would come, God responds to our weak attempts to tell others about his love because he pursues those that need him. I was saved less than six months uh, at Massey University when I was in an industrial microbiology class. And in Massey University, the lecture theatres, uh, a number of the lecture theatres were windowless, so they were all lit up by artificial lights. And I'd um, built a bit of a relationship with the, uh, with the professor who was giving this class, and he was good enough to introduce me to some people at the Auckland Regional Water Board, Auckland Regional Authority, and he got me a... a um, a holiday job uh, working at Mangaree uh, in the laboratory there, and uh, that was the start of my love for environmental sciences. And so this professor who, professor who was a nutty Scotchman, um, sorry to all the Scotch people there, uh, I really do like this guy, <laughs> but basically in his Scottish accent he said, so, so Don James, come up here and tell people why you like water. Well, I was a scared little student, all right, and I wasn't very good in front of people, and I was pretty nervous, and so I, I stood up, but he said, so come on, tell us, why do you like water? And well, the first thing that came out into my mind was, and I blurted it out, I said, because I was baptized in it. <laughs> Dear me. And, and so this professor said, that's only hearsay. And immediately, all the lights in the lecture theatre went off. Everybody was stunned. <laughs> and they slowly came up again, and nobody spoke. <laughs> and I sat down. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Ten years later, I was... Uh, I'd flown down to Palmerston North to meet with one of the heads of the Dairy Research Institute there. And this guy, we were having a cup of tea together uh, before we got into work. And he said, Don, he said, do you remember the day that God intervened in our industrial microbiology class? And I thought, wow, that had more of an effect than what I will ever know. But I tell you that story to say, hey, we're pretty useless in our evangelistic attempts. But God breathes on every little step that we might take. Even when we open our mouths and say something that perhaps in hindsight might not have been wise, God can use it. And He can use you. If you'll just have that attitude, God, you've prepared good works for me to walk in. I just want to be open to what you've got for me. And I just want to see those good works. And, and God, if you can help me start a conversation with that person at work, uh, just give me a handle, some way that I can start and say something eventually about you. You see, we can all pray for our workmates. We can all build relationships with them. There's a couple from golf um, that I've been taking out fishing for the last couple of times. Had no 
conversations about God directly with this guy. But you know, we're building a really good friendship. And I like being friends with this guy. And I know that within a decade, he's going to be in eternity, either in heaven or hell. And I'm praying for him. And I'm praying for more opportunities. I'm praying for the day when he'll come and say, Don, can you tell me what you believe? He sticks up for me on the golf course. It's amazing. He enjoys my company. And you'll find people that if you look for it, God will give you grace and God will give you opportunities just to do life in a way that people that don't know Him will want to know. Amen.